servants. Whatever his name was. Oh, I'm so bored. Nobody gave a shit about when you first came on. Anyone with half a brain, myself included, thought it was destined to fail spectacularly. But you got lucky. All you motherfuckers are gonna pay. You are the ones who are the ball lickers. We're, we're making a podcast. Please clap. And welcome back to Reboot Deboot. I am your co-host, Griffin. I am here too. My name's Alex. And uh, Alex, happy birthday! Oh, oh, for the pod, right. Yeah, for the podcast, right? That- yeah! Our first episode came out two years ago on the third, wow. and then the next birthday episode came out on the second, and today's the first because we record on Fridays, and that's just the way this mm. is going to work, but... Yeah, so we're going to try to keep it in these first three days. Yeah, right? Next year? Well, no, we're going to, we're still going to, we're just going to miss the birthday episode, but it'll be seven years until it gets back to the third being a Saturday or something, or being a Friday. A Friday, yeah. But yeah, man, so uh, how you been? Uh, Been doing good. Normal, normal week stuff. Um. I don't know. I don't have a lot to report. I don't think I watched. I don't think I watched any extra stuff. Oh, I did see last week though for the first time. I never watched it before. Uh, the Great Escape it was pretty good. Oh, you so you finally heard the music, huh? I heard finally heard the music in its original context. I had heard it like sure. hundreds of times in references to The Great Escape. I think most specifically, there's like a Simpsons short about Maggie <laughs> breaking out of daycare that uses that music. Heard a bunch of other. I remember, yeah. And then also, it's got the thing where she's throwing the ball against the wall, which I didn't know where that was from either. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah. it's there, Steve McQueen. All right. So uh, what? Uh, what made you watch that? Uh, I was talking to someone else about Steve McQueen. Uh, I was trying to get him to watch the Thomas Crown Affair, actually, the original one. Oh yeah. Um, for sure. And then they brought up the Great Escape. Like, yeah, I'll give that a watch. I didn't realize it was as long. It's, it's pretty long, but it's it's, very it's long, but it's good. Yeah, it's really it doesn't like, feel it doesn't feel like a three hour movie. Um, no, not at all. It, yeah. They keep like really good pacing. It's like it's a very solid film. Yeah, there's a fun ensemble cast for it. Like I like all the all the characters are very fun. Um, yeah, it was great. I liked it. Well, that's cool, dude. I'm glad you saw that. It's like a classic. Look at you striking out on your own watching these classics without me. Yeah, Next, well, you're going to be watching uh, Kelly's Heroes and uh, Dirty Dozen. I don't know how many World War II movies I'm going to watch. Not like Eagle's Nest. Favorite thing. You're watching all of them. Um, maybe. I mean, well, we Alex. Did Glorious Bastard. We almost did, but yeah. yeah. That was cutting room floor material. Uh, I mean, three years ago, man. You know, we've been. This is the third year we've been doing this podcast. New adventures, new movies, new remakes, new reboots. Um, out over the two years, what have you learned about yourself uh, when it comes to cinema or film? Or are there any movies that you've seen that you're like, 
man, that was like really solid. And you were surprised at? Um, a few of the black and white movies that we watched really blown me away. And then, but there's been like a handful of movies from the sixties that we watched that kind of knew existed, but I'd never seen that really surprised me. So like the original, the Manchurian candidate was, I think one of the favorite, one of my favorite things we watched on here and, and the original Thomas Crown affair too. That was pretty great. Um, those are more recent. They're probably like fresher in my mind, but sure. I don't know. I think mostly it's just that I enjoy older movies and them being in black and white is not something that turns me off anymore. Okay. I don't know. What about you? you have any um, lessons, takeaways. I I think it's just a deeper understanding of the term like remake or reboot. Mm. Like see like watching so many of these and then seeing like oh yeah this is almost a shot for shot remake or this like the script is almost identical and like or it's shocking <laughs> it's shocking how much name. is yeah yeah but for me mainly it, it's weird to be like cuz i always assumed remakes were just oh we're going to do the same plot of the movie but it's totally different but a lot of the time i'm realizing these movies are straight up just I mean, it's almost like you can put them frame by frame and more or less they're going to be there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, it, 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 I, I, I don't know if that's lazy. Don't do that, but there's definitely... Right. I can't think of the exact ones right now, but there's been there's been a few that, yeah, they were just like slightly modernized versions of the same script. <laughs> um, There were some interesting ones, like some interesting choices. Like, uh, I, I don't know, like Papillon. Oh. Yeah. When they remade that, like some of these feel unnecessary. <laughs> There's some real um, in there. <laughs> yeah, or like about Dog Pound, or sure, yeah, you know, the remake of it, Dog Pound and Scum. Scum, yeah, yeah, Dog Pound was remake, that's right. Or like, I don't know, like how some of them miss the mark, like Godzilla. Oh, like the American one. Yeah, like it misses the mark of what Godzilla is supposed to represent, and it's become diluted to where, like, let's just have these big monsters fight each other in shadow. Yeah, um, some more recent one. That's right. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day. I watched a little bit of Godzilla King of Monsters or something. It's got the girl from Stranger Things. That's actually where that this yeah. podcast is rotting your mind thing comes from. It's from that movie. Yeah. Um, uh, I saw that one too. And like Mothra's at the end. And I didn't make it very or like halfway through, through. I was like, why does this. I, feel like, I felt like I had missed something. Like this little guy was <laughs> convinced that Godzilla was here to save us. Which I guess in the movie is right, but I don't. I don't know. I mean, there. Yeah, like there are some. Uh, I don't know. It's just been interesting watching these like 13 Assassins and Superman and then. Seeing like, oh, Superman's a three-hour movie, and like, oh, it's yeah. kind of weird, and like, that was wild. I think another one of my takeaways is that movies really need to have a special reason to be longer than about an hour and a half, maybe an hour. And <laughs> like, I don't think we've, I don't think I've watched too many that can really justify the runtime when they get sure. too long. Some of them do. Yeah, some of them are just like we don't need. 
this, you could have cut a lot of this. <laughs> right. There's a lot of fat you can trim off. And, I mean, they did it for Superman. There's yeah. like an hour and a half cut of the movie where like it tied, it's a much more coherent story. Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm excited to see what the future brings. Um, it, it's definitely been an interesting ride, cinematically speaking, because we're, we're covering all genres, we're covering all years of film. So seeing different uh, actors and actresses and how talent evolves and how script writing and cinematography has evolved and like how a movie, well, like Chicago becoming a silent film to then a musical and seeing how sensibilities in film have changed and then being able to compare it to these two movies. Like it's an interesting almost case study of film that we've like inadvertently stumbled into. Um, yeah, I'm also looking forward to slash dreading the prospect of something displacing the original Ocean's Eleven is my least favorite movie that we've watched so far. <laughs> there, yeah, there are some like, wh- what's going to be the bottom? Like, what's yeah. the bottom episode we watch That's, here? Uh, um, yeah, <laughs> it says uh, both uh, <laughs> optimistic's the wrong word. Uh, sure, like scared but interested morbidly curious to see how much worse they get like cape fear was cool yeah but oceans 11 was bad and then you know going back to our first season two years ago uh death wish oh god yeah (laughs) right like like we have we have severe highs and lows with the films that we run across it's also interesting to see what people are like what studios are choosing to remake like what directors yeah. choose what movies to remake and what like Eli Roth being like, I'm going to remake death wish. Why? Cause you grew up with the movies and you think it's like some part of like indie pop, like grindhouse shit. Cause the like, yeah, it, it's just weird to see what people think needs to be remade. I also noticed uh, the Saban thing a lot now just they're all over the goddamn place. Oh, yeah, yeah. Every third movie I watch. Like, why are the Power Ranger people involved in this? <laughs> Does it make you miss what could have been with that cast? Uh, with the Power Rangers cast? No. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, not, not really that. It's more just like a weird thing. Like, these guys are mostly a toy company, right? Like, why are they? <laughs> but, I mean, I guess that used to be true, and now they're like a big multimedia conglomerate. So. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, Alex, um, let's uh, let's you know crack the champagne bottle and christen the third, like the third year birthday, and let's wrap up our uh, our swashbuckler saga. Yeah, yeah. We, <laughs> we watched the Count of Monte Cristo this week. The I don't know the dates pulled up. I think it's nineteen thirty-eight, two thousand two. Uh, 34. 34. 34 in 2002. Yeah. So, uh, what's your experience with the Count of Monte Cristo? Uh, pretty much zilch. I don't think... I've definitely never read the book. Um, I don't even know, like, I'd... I knew it was a thing that existed. I had heard the phrase the Count of Monte Cristo a bunch of times. I think I thought it was, like, an Edgar Allan Poe thing or something for some reason. Mm. Um, okay. But no, almost no experience. I didn't know it was like a classic revenge tale. I think I may have heard it like referenced once or twice in other stuff. 
You showed me that clip from V for Vendetta, so I've seen a small bit of it before this, apparently. Right. Um, I don't know. Yeah, pretty much that. Like, no, no experience. Not really. Didn't really know what it was about. Um. Yeah, I don't know. What What about you? Okay. Um, I had seen the 2002 one a hand like three or four times in my entire life. Damn. Okay. Um, I knew it was uh, so. Canon Monte Cristo started out life as a book by Mister Alexander Dumas of Musketeers fame. It is the same guy. Okay. Yeah, and. Uh, so it's another like classic French tale, but this is a revenge tale. Um, I never read the book, and I never saw any of the older films. Um, and then Count of Monte Cristo 2002 almost takes like a back seat. It's almost like it, it, it falls in line with movies like Man on the Iron Mask and Casanova. Like People remember them when you bring them up, and a lot of people, I think, go, oh, yeah, I kind of remember that. I had a friend recommend the 2002 one to me. I don't know the last time they saw it, though, but they said it was like a really fun swashbuckling movie. I did not come away with that. That same. I don't know. Well, so uh, we'll get into the 2002 one because there's a lot there, including our continued thread of like, that's another Michael Wincott appearance. And he was in. Yeah, it is. Like, yeah, like doing some real six degrees of Kevin Bacon with all these movies that we've watched last few weeks. I think he's been involved in all of them in some way, in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> yeah, like one version of every movie we watched last four weeks. Right, or you can tell he's really got a, Yeah, he he's really got a rolling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Alexander Dumas stuff. So heavily voiced creep. So Count of Monte Cristo uh, was published in 1844 and through 1846, like 1844 to 1846, that's when it ran its course. It was serialized. Um, it is a historical adventure novel and a classic tale of revenge. And it has been done a handful of times. Uh, a silent film in 1908, 1913, and 1918, it was a series. 22, 29... Uh, 34, 42, 43, 53, 54, 61, 68, 73 is a TV animated movie, uh, 75, and then a large gap where we get to 1991, uh, which is an animated television movie, then 1997, which is an animated direct-to-video movie, and then the last time would be 2002. Okay, yeah. Uh... <coughs> So the two most, or the most iconic version of the Count of Monte Cristo, Alex, is the one you and I chose from 1934 with Robert Donat yeah. as Edmond Dante. I really liked his Edmond Dante's. He's, he's quite good. So uh, let's get into it, man. What is the overall plot? What is the synopsis uh, of Count of Monte Cristo? So we have... Uh cool young man named Edmond Dantes, sailor. He's got a bow. He's working hard so they can, like, get married. Uh... <clears throat> but then he's got some, he's got some acquaintances that are kind of assholes. Uh... 
in the original one or like in the 1934 movie it's less clear like why they all hate him so much they kind of just fuck him over for like sort of mild mild personal gain so Edmund Dantes is working as a sailor on this boat and their captain has something called brain fever which is just sort of delirious in bed and dying um but his captain gives him this note from Napoleon uh and Dante he tells Dantes that someone's going to find him and get the note from him there's also this is all happening in France after Napoleon has been exiled to Elba um and this movie the 1934 one really seems to think that Napoleon coming back is, like, super peachy keen. Uh, the way it's framed is, like, very Napoleon sympathetic in kind of a weird way. I, I'm not from there. I don't know what things were like immediately after he gets kicked out of France, but they seem like... <clears throat> seems like him coming back is going to be a fun thing in the eyes of the movie. Um, so he gets this note. He comes back to France. Someone picks it up from him. Um, <clears throat> and then this... Dude, De Villefort, the sort of like local police authority guy, um, brings Dantes in uh, for doing like espionage work, basically. He finds out about that note, and then he finds out the person who picked up the note was actually his dad, uh, Villefort's dad. Uh, and Villefort doesn't want it getting out that there's like a Napoleon sympathizer in his family, because they could be thrown in prison. Um, so he, <clears throat> with the help of goddamn Danglars, who is another person who worked on the boat that Dante's was on, and uh, fuck, what's the third guy's name? Mondego. Mondego. He was like, he's <laughs> okay. Mondego's like a cop, and uh, Villefort's like the commissioner, kind of like the local sort of like police chief guy. So they all sort of conspire, make up some evidence. They get Dantes arrested, but Dantes is, like, such an innocent dummy that he kind of doesn't realize what's happening. He even, like, God, is it in this one where he offers him a ride home in his carriage? Or no, that's in the 2000. Okay. That's that in 2002. Extra, that one's extra fucked. Uh, they're kind of blending together. Sorry. But they, uh, so they, Villefort basically has Dantes arrested, and he takes him to this place called Chateau Deef which is a little fortress prison on an island off the coast of France. It's like two miles away from the French city where most of this takes place that I can't remember the name of right now. Um, uh, and he gets to spend about 20 years there. He makes, he meets a f fun friend after about six years, this, this weird little priest who's digging tunnels all over the place. He ends up, kind of digging into Dante's cell, and then they become fast friends. Uh, the priest is, like, a cool intellectual dude. He kind of plays, like, crazy, harmless old man for the guards, and they give him special treats, and he's been able to scrawl sort of, like, the entirety of Western civilization knowledge onto the walls of his cell, and he teaches Dante's this as Dante's and him continue to dig a tunnel out of the prison. Um, then they get, they're pretty close to getting out. They start, they get to the point where seawater is like dripping into their tunnel a little bit. They know they're really close. They say they're maybe like a month or two off at that point. Uh, but then there's a cave in and the old man gets crushed by rocks, uh, sort of out of nowhere. Um, Dantes drags him out, puts him 
back in his cell. The guards come. They see the old guy laying there dead. They wrap him in a burlap sack and then leave for apparently an inordinately long amount of time. It gives Dante's enough time to unwrap the body, take the body, drag it back through a tunnel to his cell, put it in his bed, and then go back to the old man's cell and then re-sew himself up in this burlap sack. Uh, now I, I have to uh, I, ha- I have to stop you for a second. Um, you, okay, so the prison that they are on is basically just on a shitty little island in the middle of nowhere at this time. Yeah, it's like a two mile. It's like a, <laughs> it's very small. Yeah, maybe it's like a mile and uh, Edmund is in his cell for uh, six years without contact. The only yeah. contact he gets is when the guards open up a uh, open up the little slot to throw the food in. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a prison where you're basically you're there. There is no trial, and you're forgotten about, and you're there until you die of old age. Yeah. This so when this idea. old dude breaks into Edmund's cell, it's a big deal because it's the first time that he's seen or talked to anyone who wasn't a torturer or a guard, and even the guards don't respond back. And this old man has been in there for twice as long as Edmund. Yeah. And Edmund ends up spending a total of 14 years in prison. Oh, was it 14? I thought it was 20 between him getting arrested and getting out. But uh, In the book, and yeah, it's 14 years from the time he gets put in to the time he breaks out. Okay. I also... <laughs> but like, yeah. I also just want to say that like Edmund Dante's in this movie, it's black and white, but it still looks like he's wearing like some really thick face paint makeup or something. He looks like fucking Marceau Marceau. Sure, he he does. <laughs> they make him look very pasty. He's so pale. And then after you know fourteen years of no sunlight, he comes out and people comment on how pale he is. But I'm like, he looks exactly the fucking same as when he went in. Now the old man is a priest. He's an yeah. abbot. And uh, he used to be Abby uh, Ferraya, I think is isn't it Ferraya, something like that. He used to be uh, what, like a he was like uh, an accountant uh, for for some fancy yeah, people for uh, Sparta, Sparta, yeah, Sparta. And uh, he was entrusted with uh, Caesar or Cesare Sparta's treasure. Yeah, he's um, the only person who knew about it. This sort of like legendary treasure that I guess is known among people of the time, but is kind of like a urban legend kind of thing. Like, yeah, there's a there's debate over whether it actually exists or not. No one knows where it is except for this cuckoo this, priest, this abbot, and yeah. along the along their time in prison while trying to dig out, as Alex said. Uh, the abbot is teaching Edmund the ways of the world. He's teaching him science, philosophy, math. He's teaching him various languages. He's teaching him how to sword fight. Uh, he is making him a learned man of the day, a renaissance man, if you will. Yeah. Uh, no longer and, kind of idiot puppy that got framed for doing something. He right. Uh, so, yes, continue. I just have to give context, because that's kind of like a big deal. Yeah, I was forgetting the their isolation Monte and... Cristo part. Uh, right. And the, <laughs> yeah. It's a lot shorter in this one. In the 2002 one, it's like basically the first half of the movie is just these two guys being tortured in prison. Um, uh, <clears throat> oh, man, I forgot. I wrote this down in my notes that I took while watching the first one, but 
there's a really just the exchanges between the priest and Dante's are really cool. Like when the priest props pops his fucking head out of the wall and he's like, to feel the warmth of a comrade's hand. Like that little soliloquy that he does gave me fucking chills. It was so good. Yeah. No, it, it's it is masterful. And he, like the, the entire prison scenes and like the education of Edmund as he's becoming like a learned man and this old man is like pass it that's all great. The stuff all the stuff around the priest is amazing. So like I have <laughs> um <clears throat> he also like I think it's I think it's right before the priest dies, but like Dante's is sort of He's got like his kill list. He sort of figured out these three guys fucked him, and he says "rask." He calls them rascals in like the most insulting way I've ever it, yeah. like to <laughs> condemn them. But he's like these fucking rascals. Yeah, <laughs> he's, like shouting to the heavens about it. It's pretty funny. Um, the priest gets crushed, and then he says, "My ribs are crushed." And Ave Maria starts playing as he dies, which is pretty neat. Uh. Then they do the sort of body swap thing where yeah. that I do not believe he had enough time for. Unless these guards went and then took a nap for an hour. <laughs> I don't believe he had enough time to do all this. Um, and in the 2002 one, I like the touch that they didn't add, that they added, which is the priest tells Edmund the location of the treasure. And Edmund's like, don't fucking tell me because I'm going to use it for my revenge. Like, when I get out of here, I'm going to get these guys. Don't like I if you get if you tell me where all these resources are, I'm going to use them for my revenge, so please don't tell me. And the priest is like, No, you're gonna use it to live well. And then Edmund gets out and he's like, Fuck it, I'm using it for my revenge. Like Yeah, they do that a little differently. Like in the two thousand two one, it's sort of ambiguous as to whether the treasure exists or not. And then also right. they shoehorn in some religious bullshit around the treasure being real. Uh which I will we can talk about when we talk about it a little later. Sure. Two thousand two one. Um, and this one, he just sort of tells him, like, pretty soon after meeting, because it's, like, the thing he uses to motivate Dante's to help him dig, because Dante's is kind of, like, not about that at first, uh, but he tells right. him he'll give him a shitload of treasure if he helps him get out. Uh, so they do. Um, Dante's gets hucked into the sea after he re-entombs himself in that bag, and he gets out pretty easily and swims to the surface, and then he gets picked up by some friendly pirates that are traveling by. They're smugglers. They are Italian yeah. smugglers. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't remember most of their names other than Jacopo, uh, who is like becomes Dante's sort of right hand man <laughs> later. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, uh, what's going on? Um, oh, and then so like as they're sail, it's like in the same. He helps them sail a bit because he's a sailor too. Uh, and then he makes his way, or I think the whole, he, I don't remember exactly what the pretense is for going there, but this whole ship goes around this island called Monte Cristo, which is where the Sparta, tre the Spada treasure, sorry, is. Um, and he kind of goes, he makes some excuse. I don't, I think it's like, you guys keep sailing. I'm going to go ashore and catch us dinner. That's what it is. Um, yeah. And then he goes there and he follows this map that the the priest had given him. And then he finds basically just like a crazy treasure room out of Pirates of the Caribbean or something. He opens this door and it's just like chests full of fucking doubloons and crowns and weavers <laughs> and gems. <laughs> that is Cardinal Caesar Espada's treasure. Yeah. It's and good to be a Cardinal. Kind of a smash cut to like him being back 
on the mainland. We've sort of ignored all the logistics of hauling all this treasure back. I'm not sure who knows about sure. it or doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's now in his sort of metaphorical bank account. And then he starts going about the work of like making himself seem officially royal. So like he threw basically just like through some fancy paperwork and by buying some property, he labels himself the Count of Monte Cristo. And then he starts, uh, he like gets back into polite society where, and at this point now it's been 14 between 14 and 20 years or something. Um, and all of his ex, all of his ex friends slash, uh, like backstabbers are all much better off now. So like De Villefort is now like the head prosecutor of France. He like has moved to Paris to work there. He's a big fucking deal. Danglars runs the shipping company that he uh, kind of started. No, he's, he's, he, he's in the 30, you're thinking of the 2002 one in the 34 one. He's a banker. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah. He's a Danglars is a banker. Yeah. He's a banker. Super shady. Um, and Mondego is now living with, uh, or married to Dante's, uh, like ex boo Mercedes, who has been pretty cool the entire time. She was like never happy about him being, <laughs> well, she was told Mer- he was Mercedes ex- is loyal. Yeah. She's great. In both ones. She's, she's pretty cool. Um, Mercedes is loyal as hell. Mondego, and, uh, like yeah. lies to her, takes advantage of her and kind of like, like feigns sympathy, but is really, you know, just he's a dirty dog. Um, and he is still basically just a cop, I think, in this, right? He's like still just Inspector Mondego. No, he's he, or oh, he's Count he, he's Mondego a, now. His dad he's died count, during the yeah, he, he, while he this is whole Count thing, Mondego. While this whole thing happens, Napoleon reinvades France. It is, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't go super well for him, and a few people die in it while that happens, and one of them was Mondego's dad. Um, and uh, th- there's a whole thing, too, where in 34, Mondego has um, killed uh, Ali Pasha. Of the, uh, He arranged him to be handed over to the Turks. And, uh, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. Because yeah. so. the, re- the, revenge, the revenge plot is the same, but how he gets revenge on these men is different. The fact that he wants revenge is the same, but I feel like... In my opinion, his revenge plan is much more elaborate and fun in the 1934 one. And the other one is just going to get them arrested for the crimes they did. And this one is like set up fiendishly elaborate (laughs) scenarios (laughs) sure, (laughs) to slowly expose them and drive them mad. Um, So I think the first one he does is the Albanian like court show. Yes. He's like he has it, his... it, it, the the French ambassador to Albania is yeah. uh, at at the Count of Monte Cristo's chateau. He has like and, this coming uh, out party kind of thing, and he's yeah, like... he 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 Hamlet's him basically. He yeah. put uh, Edmond Dantes puts on a has actors put on a play doing that exposes Mondego basically. Yeah. I kept on thinking um, of that episode of The Office where Dwight does the garden party because it was like. <laughs> the formality yeah. was like straight out of them, oh right? down to the fucking tableaus too. Um, but like the announcing people as they walk in, <laughs> right? He had to announce every person really loudly as they would like leave and then go back and leave again. Yeah, it was, um, I just kept on thinking of that. Though. But he, so he's also my notes kind of have a gap here. He's basically been ingratiating sure. himself with all three of these guys for a little bit now. He's doing this other side hustle with Danglars where he's been like. 
he's been sort of buying and selling stocks that he knows are going to do or Dante's has been like buying and selling stocks that he knows are going to do really well and Danglars has like been sort of moving the money for him but he's seen that every time Dante's buys a stock it goes up immediately after probably because of some market manipulation shit that Dante's is doing on the back end Um, so Danglars has a standing order to like use his own money like to basically buy shares whenever Dante's is buying shares. Um, and none of them recognize him. He looks exactly the same. He's interacting with them face to face. None of these people recognize him. Well, he has a mustache and his hair is kind of white. That's sure. I suppose that's like, I don't know. I feel like I know, like you see a picture of Ethan Klein back before his hair was gray and Ethan Klein. Now do they look like totally different people? (laughs) You stab me in the back, Alex. And in 20 years, if I show up as like, would you recognize me? Probably. Alicia claims she would. Alicia's like, I would recognize you. I'm like, who? I mean, I like, I'd cut the hair, obviously, because that's a big one. I'd cut yeah. the hair. Uh, he didn't grow his hair so, out though in this one. He just come like, he gets he cut back to the exact same length after he gets out of prison. <laughs> he pomades it back. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. So the first one he actually gets revenge on though is Mondego. Which yeah. should almost be the last one he saves because of the Mercedes thing. Because Edmund loves Mercedes. They are going to be married and Mondego rips it away. There seem, he uh, seems to be like personally like less hot-headed. He's like so just like cool and calculated in this one. He's just doing his, he is. Doing his thing. He's setting them all up. Uh, but then he, yeah, he has this sort of coming out party or like his like introduction to polite society. I'm a cool count party. Um, and it's this it's done in the style of the Albanian court. Um, so it's like very formal, lots of cool costuming and stuff coming in. And there's this whole set of tableaus and the, they're the first tableau is like the, you say Abby, no, what, what the fuck was the guy named for for Zara or something? Uh, 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 Ali pa- uh, Pasha. Ali Pasha. Okay. Who was like a regent in Albania or something? Yeah. He was, okay. he was betrayed uh at the hands of the turks yeah so the and first, mondego the, is the one who orchestrated it the first tableau is uh <laughs> it's it's like ali pasha and his uh harem but then every person in the harem is someone that mondego has cheated on his wife with which is you know beautiful uh and mondego right. is going to be part of the tableau so he's like not in the audience to see this happen <laughs> um and then oh and uh, Dante's has also invited the daughter of this Abby, fuck, Pasha, Pasha, guy yeah. who had made, like knows that Mondego killed her dad or turned him over to the Turks to have him be killed. Um, so one of and then one of the tableaus is uh, Pasha being like killed, and I think he's is Mondego playing Pasha in this one. No, Mondego is playing himself. Oh, he's just like sort of there, yeah. And then this woman yeah. come, like, then the daughter like just like shouts about how fucked up this is. Um, <clears throat> and I think that's is that enough to get Mondego like sort of thrown like clapped in irons at this point? He no, he thinks that. So uh, Edmund has bought a uh, he he's been tipping off a newspaper and he tells the newspaper oh, uh, the good. editor he's like watch what happens and then find me afterwards yeah so then the final tableau shows when this woman gets up and she goes that's not true Mondego killed my father and 
Then yeah. Monday, like uh, Edmund jumps up on stage and he's like, "She is a lunatic. She is a mad woman." Uh, I would, I expressed my humblest apologies and asked for the count's forgiveness. I would have that woman arrested. And then he, uh, Edmund, ends up going to the reporter and he gives him a fat like proof that yeah, actually yeah, Mondego fucking yeah. yeah, 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 okay. And uh, Mondego goes home and he sees the press hounding him. And then oh, before that, they get into a fight. Because Mondego goes to ask the like Monte Cristo what they should do, and Monte Cristo reveals himself as Edmond Dantes. They have a sword fight, uh, and it was Mondego's past that disarmed him. Uh, he sends Mondego home, and Mondego can't live with the shame or the uh, heat of what's coming his way now oh. for essentially overthrowing this, that's, and he commits suicide. That's right. He shoots himself in the fucking chest out of nowhere. It happened so fast. <laughs> yeah. So, Mondego down. Mondego Next up, down. we have our banker, uh, Danglars. Danglars. So, this whole sort of, like, scheme has been brewing in the background. Um Edmund, they Danglar sees this big order come in to buy a bunch of shares of some some national shipping company or something, um, and Danglars tells his like his lackey to like take all of my money and put it in this, and he's or he's he's gonna take a lot of money and put it in. It's all of his money, but before that, he's like, you know, we're gonna buy this, and he's like, his little helper buddy is like, just your money or like De Villefort's too. He goes, no, just my money, and he puts all of his money in there. Um, and then it's like smash cut to the next day, and there's a newspaper saying that this the shipping company that he just invested all of his money in has gone like belly up, so he's he's ruined now. He's got got no moolah left. Um, and when he goes to Monte Cristo uh, for advice and help, Monte Cristo's like, "Oh no, I knew it was collapsing. I actually didn't put any money into it." Um, yeah. And then Danglars <laughs> loses his mind, and he becomes comatose. <laughs> I forgot about that. That's right. His money goes away, and then when he, he finds goes. out that De- that Dante's is back, uh, he is thrown into a catatonic state. They call it a mental is... suicide. <laughs> yeah, a mental, <laughs> which a is movie. a cool. It's a good. I that's a good. I wrote, down, I wrote that down. Quote: A mental suicide, and then four question marks afterwards. <laughs> yeah, he committed a mental suicide. He is uh, he is insane. He is without wit. And the last one to go um, is now uh, Davilafor, oh, who well, has we, become the state attorney. We should also uh, go back real quick. And Mercedes and Mondego had a kid uh-huh. named Albert. Um, <laughs> Albert. Albert, sure. Right. Uh, um, in We're between French, Danglars committing mental suicide and the trial scene, there's a duel between Albert and the Count of Monte Cristo. Yes. Like for Albert's father's honor kind of thing. Um, and by now Mercedes has come to him and been like, you're, you're Edmund. And he's like, nope, Edmund is dead. And they have that exchange earlier too, where uh, she's like, you know, you remind me of a man. Yeah. I want like Dante's. And he's like, well, I am not that man. And he's less it, of it's an a, asshole about it in this one. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, Mercedes knows, and she's like, "Please don't kill my kid because he actually worships you." Yeah, like uh, he, yeah, they they like, staged a very there's we kind of ignored most of it. There's a fun side plot with the kid where like 
Dante's has been sort of ingratiating himself with young Albert, and that's sort of how he get. That's like his foot in the door to polite society. Here is like he stages a hostage situation and rescue with the kid, where he gets his pirate buddies to kidnap him, and then he saves them in Rome. Um, and yeah, him and Albert fucking loves him. Albert is uh, dating slash about to marry the daughter of De Villefort. Uh, and they're like, they're over and having breakfast with the Count of Monte Cristo. They're just like chilling all the time, but they're both like 16. It's kind of a weird, I think you're like modern day. I'd be like, this doesn't seem like a safe situation if these two kids were like hanging out with this random stranger that found them in Rome. But, sure. But it's all good here. Um, and everyone met everyone's parents and it's all fine. Um, there's a duel with Albert and Dante's that my only note just says it seemed kind of pointless. I don't. Because isn't this like right where they reconcile or something? They shoot offset. Like they're both on target and then they adjust their aim oh, to miss each other. Oh, they do the other. pistol duel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They both miss. They do a bloodless duel, which they set up as going to be like as a thing that's going to be like disgraceful. But then they both decide to do that anyway. And they're like, okay, that was fine. Uh, now we go on to the next scene and we're not going to talk about this anymore. Um, Dante's is like, now he's got this thing. He's accused. Villefort of some crimes uh, which are all real or is it Dante's being arrested is that what Dante's being arrested Dante's... because he broke out of prison yeah he got but okay. by, by him being there he will actually expose Villefort's crimes yeah so there's a there's a little sort of uh, tension thing that happens where Dante's is like oh fuck I can't do this because it's going to put my sort of stepson's fiance in danger or like it's going to disgrace her and her family if i if i you know dime on this guy uh then there's a little like recess while the court things happen they ask dante's if he's gonna if he has anything to say to defend himself and he basically says like uh not at this time and then they go on a little recess break and then he goes and talks he's also to being wheeled around in the little the, on fucking, that little pallet <laughs> yeah. yeah that box was fucking hilarious there's this little half <laughs> like jail made out of wood that the witness stands in and then the prosecutor, whoever's doing the question will kind of wheel him around the courtroom to show him off to various people. It's just great. Um, oh yeah. I have that note in the little wheelie cart that Dante's has to stand on is hilarious. Um, they have this recess. He goes and basically like Albert's fiance tells him like, no, fuck my dad. He's an asshole. You say whatever you need to say. Um, because come, Mercedes finally tells them the truth. Yeah. Like, Mercedes has learned all of this. So she tells her son and, uh, oh, God, Villafort's daughter. Yeah, um, I can't remember either, man. I don't know. Valentina. Valentina. She, she Valentina tells Valentina and Albert the, uh, the truth of Edmund Dante's. <laughs> and then Valentina's tells, like, you must, you know. She also it. tells Dante's that she raised Albert to be like Edmund Dante's not like Mondego. Right. She so like, like he is spirit. the image of the man I would love. Yeah, she's like in spirit, he's basically like your kid. He raised in a way that like raised in your in with you as like a model. Um so then they come to the back to the trial thing and the count is like actually judge scratch that. I would like to testify now and the judge goes, Well that's every man's right. Uh and then he sort of like 
just lays out all the fucked up stuff that Deville Fort has done, and, uh, and but he almost gets like this is a great this is a great scene. It's, it's really beautiful, good. yeah. Because as he's starting, like, because up until now we've seen the Count of Monte Cristo be this cold, calculating, charming vision, and there are only two times when, like, the first time is when he sees Mercedes. And he kind of drops his guard for a little bit, but then he puts it back up. But now that he's in the courtroom and he's exposing Villafor's yeah. uh, secrets, he almost becomes manic. Like he start, he's getting enthusiastic and he's showing real like emotion here, like the stakes. And there's that great moment where he's like, "I present to you a traitor to the king in Spain or in France." And he fucking like throws Villafor while Villafor is in that stand, yeah, he's and like the fucking crowd like run. Yeah, he's yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's he really gets good. like really. It's great. It, it's you're, and then you're right. That last the trial scene is fantastic. Yeah. It's so good, and uh, the guy playing Dante's is just like knocking out of the park. Robert. Dino. Yeah, Robert did not. He's so good as Edmund Dante's, and he he's described. You know, he's uh, lied. He has forged documents. He has ingratiated himself with his own power and. Like he does all of, the, and the court's like, "Where's the proof? Where's proof?" And Edmund's like, "I have the proof." And yeah, he fucking, fucking hands folder, yeah, yeah, like a whole dossier. And at the end, it's determined that Villafort is guilty, and uh, it ends like it, it ends in that beautiful scene where Mercedes and Edmund are up in a tree, and they're oh, like just right. holding each other. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Albert and Valentina walk up, and they go, "May we come up?" And he goes, "No, you find your own tree." <laughs> and then it just cuts to it's just a thirty second last scene of the. It's basically the like, and they all lived happily ever after, but like shown through yeah. pictures of them like just having a little picturesque picnic kind of scene happening. It's fucking great. Oh, the rap <laughs> now is very good. Count of Monte Cristo came out August 29th, 1934, and the box, I can't tell you how much it was made for, but I can tell you how much it made, and it made $1.5 million. Ooh, that seems like a lot. <laughs> Which, in 34, seems like a fucking lot of money, dude. Um, so, Robert Dunas was Edmond Dantes in The Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, Alisa, uh, Alessa Landi was Mercedes de Rosa's. Uh, Louis Callerhern was de Villafort. Sydney Blackmer was Count, Monde- uh, Count Mondego. Um, Raymond Wilbur was Baron Donglers. Uh, O.P. Heggie is the abbot. Uh, I- uh, Irene Har- uh, Hervey was Valentina de Villafort. Um, and-, and then a cast of others, but those are your main cast. Oh, yeah. um, and uh, Louis Alberni as Jacopo. <laughs> yeah. Jacopo. I only bring that up because uh, the person who plays him in the, the newer version. Louis, Louis Guzman. Yeah. <laughs> I was we'll, expecting get to all the that. movie to be funny because of that, but ooh, it was not. <laughs> there were some moments. There were one or um, two, largely revolving so, around Louis Guzman, but. <laughs> right. Because he can't so, be funny. <laughs> overall, uh, how did you think, man, about 1934's Count of Monte Cristo? I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. It didn't strike me as that much of like a swashbuggling movie. I think there's like two sword fights in it. There's the one with Monday. Yeah. There's a there's a dueling scene. This one like not a not a ton of action going on. I didn't really mind that. Like I thought. I don't. I really enjoyed the sort of back half of the movie where it's him like setting up all these plots and you get to watch it and it's him, like just sort of like masterminding all this shit very expertly like he's 
Is it in this one where he's got a private investigator checking him out, like on his own behalf? Yeah, yeah. yeah. He's, so he's got a private investigator looking into. He like, hired the investigator that he found out that Villefort hired. He hired like the best investigator in France to look into himself to find out what De Villefort would figure out by hiring a private investigator. He's super, super smart with it, and it's his plans are fucking fantastic and so dastardly, but like it's all warranted. Very cool. The the whole thing with the priest, like those little exchanges, it's like it's very like Shakespearean at times. So these little monologues that happen are all just like really good and so well acted. I really, really enjoyed it. In both movies, there's that moment when Mercedes confronts Edmund, mm-hmm. and he's like, "In in 1934, it's Jacopo." And in 2002, it's also Jacopo and then Mercedes later, but he's basically like, you don't fucking get it. All I have left is my anger and my hatred. Like, my enemies are falling into my trap. Like, I have them right here. If I love you, if I admit I'm Edmund, if I be the man you want me to be that I am inside, all of the shit goes away. Like, I can't sacrifice my revenge right now. He also is a little pissed. He feels like uh, Mercedes, like you fucked my best friend like a month after you found out I was dead. What the fuck? Right. Um, and, and then like, she reveals that, like, yeah, you know, I, I've always loved you. It's, yeah. Um, it, it's so, I was blown away by 1934's Count of Monte Cristo. Yeah. Yeah, man. Same. I loved it. There's another one, like, pleasantly surprised with how, how good. People, I guess people could still make movies in the 30s. They kind of knew what they were doing <laughs> then, too. I mean, yeah, his... Uh, so, Robert Dunas was... Um, he was sickly. He had uh, chronic asthma. And it only... It limited his career options to where he only appeared in 20 films. And out of those 20 films, he only appeared in Hollywood for one of them. And that was Count of Monte Cristo. Damn. Okay. He flew to Hollywood to perform in Count of Monte Cristo because he was too sick to make any other trips. But for that one, he, you know, had no choice. Um, he died uh, June 9th, 1958 at the age of 53. Damn. Okay. So, but yeah, he leaves behind uh, 20 films and one of them is fucking the Count of Monte Cristo, which is fantastic. He also did uh, uh, the Scarlet Pimpernel. Oh, cool. Okay. So, um, yeah. Now, Alex, do you want to hop in our cinema time machine and go to 2002? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Talk about the Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, so, this Count of Monte Cristo came out January 25th, 2002. Uh, to the tune of $35 million budget and a box office return of $75.4 million. Goddamn. Okay. Uh, how'd you feel about this, Count of I, Monte Cristo? I was a little... I was less, less hot on this one. I didn't really... I think the first half kind of soured me. I feel like it picks up a lot after he gets out of prison, but the first half kind of... Had me in a weird you, mood. <laughs> I don't know. You don't like the the prison stuff? I thought that was really compelling. I thought it was cool. Like, I like the prison. Okay. So I'm sort of, like, conflicted. Because, like, totally the first half of the movie is just, like, super fucking serious. There's, like, nothing fun at all going on. And especially the prison stuff, which I get, you know, French prison in the 1800s. is not going to be a fun time. 
Um, <laughs> right. But it's just like prolonged periods of suffering. And then also all the God stuff that gets fucking shoehorned in there had me in kind of a weird mood, especially knowing what a fucking lunatic Jim Caviezel turned out to be. Or like, well, that it yeah. probably wasn't yeah. the time. So like every time that like these sort of ham fisted, like, and also God's really important for this too. Like, I was just like, what, what? <laughs> okay. It's, I couldn't, I can't expunge the Jim Caviezel like knowledge from my brain. So it's hard not to sure. think about that stuff while this is happening. <laughs> that book kind of a sour taste in my mouth. When that gets done after he meets the pirates, you know, Louis Guzman shows up very fun. Um, that, okay. Life. That scene when he meets him, when, cause he washes up. <laughs> like he, it, it's the same thing. The movie's oh, largely uh, the same up until he meets the pirates. Basically, we so we have uh, Guy Pierce, yeah, as uh, as one day ago. He plays him. Oh, he's so much more sniveling and Weasley in this one. He's <laughs> he's also like so a, much more of an asshole. Yeah, he. Everyone is like way more fucking arch and evil in this one. They're like uh, um. <laughs> Were you surprised at who Albert was? Wait, who played Albert? <laughs> really? Know. Henry Cavill. Oh fuck, that's who that was. I did not recognize him. <laughs> that's boy Henry Cavill, oh, man. Okay, there were a few people. So like Guy Pierce showed up with his gravelly voice in the first scene. It's kind of dark, and I'm like, fuck, is that Michael Wincott? I'm like, no, it's Guy Pierce. Cool, I like him too. Right, and later, and then Michael, Michael Wincott appears the later. Jailer. <laughs> yeah, Michael Wincott is the jailer. Uh, Henry Cavill is Albert. Um, Dagmara, uh, Polish last name, um, is uh, Mercedes, and she is fucking awesome. She is so good as Mercedes. Uh, and then Louis Guzman as Jacopo. Um, we got Richard Harris as the Abbot. Uh, and then James Frame as a uh, Villafor. Yeah. Um, fun cast, but yeah, it was just like it's very, very serious. I I saw Louis Guzman in the credits or like as the movie's opening up. I'm like, okay, this has got to be. And people kept on telling me it was like a fun swashbuckling movie, so I'm expecting like a little bit of comedic relief at points. And it starts there with was. Like, yeah, there's like one or two. Um, it starts with a sword fight too, where I'm like, okay, out of the gate, they're making this more of like an action movie, um, which was fun. Uh, but yeah, the sort of everything that happens once he gets back to Marseille between there and him going to prison and getting out of prison eventually. Um, so Ed Edmund has escaped the chateau. Yeah, just uh, a hilarious way. It's, it happens largely the same as in the first movie, with the with what the the difference being that they're like they're getting ready to fucking heave home when he's like wrapped <laughs> up in that burlap sack, and on the count of three, he kind of swings back. He reaches a hand out of the sack, grabs onto the key ring that's on Michael Wincott's belt, and then they fucking yeet him into the ocean. And he takes Wincott <laughs> with him, uh, and then he brutally fucking drowns him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah he's, he's yeah, Wincott, and, like swimming to this rocky shore and he looks he's like nope and he fucking drowns him uh wincott is like beating him mercilessly right year. that's uh, the, the way they uh, keep track of time there and this one is on the anniversary of your imprisonment they come and torture you for a little bit 
Michael Wincott whips you, and he also like doesn't remember his name and he doesn't care. And yeah, he's going um, to before he meets the priest. Uh, but then like, yeah, all those weird exchanges about how God is real and stuff. Um, but that makes sense for the abbot to talk about. Because he's an abbot. I know. I know. I know it does, but it happens at multiple other points later too. It, sure. It was just an odd seem to have. Well, I don't. I don't know. Again, I don't think it would have bothered me. It. They seem shoehorned in. I don't think it would have bothered me as much if this wasn't Jim Caviezel. Uh, sure, because he's a fucking you know lunatic. Yeah, yeah, he's a he goes on, lunatic. He goes on after this. I think his next movie is Passion of the Christ in two thousand. I think so too. And then the dude who made that ten thousand kids being abducted movie or whatever the fuck. I don't. Sound of Freedom. Sound of Freedom, that's what it is. He handpicked Jim Caviezel because he knew he was a lunatic and like wanted him to play him in the movie. So I don't Anyway, it was it was hard not to put all of that aside. It gets more fun after he <laughs> after he kills Michael Wincott. Yeah, he washes up on shore. So he washes up on shore and he's it's great because he's running along the shore for the first time. He's free. And he's in the background, and as he's running we see like the, these silhouettes of like guys yeah. who he doesn't realize until he stops and he sees that, Oh, that's a, they're a ruffian crew. And the captain of the, uh, the Italian smugglers is like, I'll tell you what, I'm going to kill one of my men. I'm going to bury him alive for Luigi stealing from us. Bamba. Very fun. Guy. But now that you're here, uh, you're going to fight him to the death and either he kills you and the men get a little bit of sport or you kill him and we get a another body. And Edmund's like, what if I don't want to be a smuggler? He's like, well, then we kill you both. And there's a great moment where he's like, then I will kill you from the maggot and the smuggler's life is a life for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, Jacopo and him fight. Jacopo, or uh, Edmund Dantes spares Jacopo's life. Uh, and Jacopo's like, I am your man from this point forward. I will protect you. I am in your debt. And the... Uh, Edmund has learned how to fight from the old man where they actually show him how to get hand speed and yeah, training there's with this whole uh, thing about slivers like the of wood. fighter doesn't win, the fastest one does. Uh, yeah. Because so like, I also say, like, the, the captain says that Jacopo is the best knife fighter he's ever seen, and then this dude fresh out of prison, Dante's, is like, well, you should get out more. Uh, and the pirates <laughs> know exactly where he came from, so this is a very fun joke to Pampa. Right. Uh, yeah, and he bests him. Now, now he's his man. Um, so, um, you know, they now you had a problem with him finding the treasure in this one. In this one, no, I don't. No, I just meant like they, well, they did. Okay, so there's this scene when they're tunneling with the priest, where dante's is like god isn't fucking real he's no more real than this kooky treasure of yours and at this point the priest is basically implied if not outright lied about the fact that he he said he was tortured by michael wincott um and he's in prison because people wanted to find this treasure after the his fucking his boss died Uh, right and they tortured the abbey and he's like they didn't believe me that i didn't know where it was and now i'm locked up in here um and there's this line where Jim Caviezel is like, you know, God's no more real than that treasure of yours. And then the, the Abbey's kind of like, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. <laughs> uh, and then he reveals that he actually did know where the treasure is. Like, right at the end, as he's dying, he tells him to, like, pull this cobblestone out. And there's a key and a map in there. 
I didn't have a problem with him like physically going to find the treasure. I just thought it was kind of a goofy way of the movie being like, also, God is definitely totally real, guys. Uh, the director of this is uh, Michael Reynolds, or uh, sorry, Kevin Reynolds. And Kevin Reynolds would um, also go on to uh, do Dances with Wolves. Uh, he helped oh, co-write Red Dawn. Robin Hood and Prince of Thieves too. He did Robin Hood Prince of Thieves, which and is Michael Wincott and Costner movie. Yeah. Ugh. So okay. interesting. Maybe interesting that we we have it is it, it is like a seven degree like six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing. Too much. Yeah, these four sets of movies. Too much. A lot of a, uh, lot of trading of actors going on. So. They go to Monte, the Isle of Monte Cristo, and they find. First, they go back to Marseille. The boat that he's working on docks right. in Marseille. I think he worked there for like a month, but he's like best friends with all these dudes now. Um, he gets off in Marseille. Jacopo follows him. They look around, and he does a little bit of like inspecting of things. His basically his old boss like lost his business because Danglars took it over in like a hostile takeover. Danglars became the captain of the boat after. <clears throat> after Dante's was like thrown in thrown in jail wrongly. Um we also see all the stuff with Mondego just being an absolute creep with Mercedes, but like pretending to be a good guy. Um and now they're counting countess because his dad died fighting Napoleon or something. Um Yeah, his dad and brother. Yeah, and uh Villefort's doing a lot better, but Dante's walks around Marseille's a little bit to like kind of check out the old haunts. He goes and checks in on his old boss his boss absolutely doesn't recognize him which is a little more believable in this one he had short hair when he went in and now he comes out he's got long hair and a mustache and he looks like he's aged a little bit um uh his boss tells him that his dad committed suicide out of shame after finding out that he did some treason and was also did a murder um uh i don't know and then Dante's like leaves a sack of gold there and then him and Jacopo go and find the treasure and sort of start the Count of Monte Cristo stuff rolling. Now, when they find the treasure and it's just those fucking like huge trunks of gold and the next scene is Jacopo buying that fucking house, like that stately manor from that guy. Yeah. He's like, we wish to buy your house. <laughs> was so That was funny. I don't think it was intentionally funny. I don't know. Maybe it was, but him being like, I want to buy your house. And the guy is being like, that's fucking hilarious, you idiot. And then they walk around to the back of that wagon. They whip a fucking blanket up. And then a bunch of, like, the blooms spill out. And he's like, let me, where do I sign? <laughs> it's just yeah. smash cut to that that, doc, that rolled up document with the red ribbon around it. It's just changing hands. <laughs> fucking smash cut to, like, the black invitations getting sent out. And then fucking Edmund Dantes appearing from an... Uh, a hot air balloon. That was some Baz Luhrmann shit, that fucking scene. <laughs> <laughs> as, he opens, as he arrives. Everyone, all these fancy French people are waiting. Um, yeah, and he rides in on a fucking hot air balloon. The air balloon is coming in, four ropes drop out of it, and then four fucking uh, Cirque du Soleil motherfuckers yeah. come down. Yeah. They're hanging upside down from the ropes, and they descend all slowly using just their legs. And I tie it down, and then this ramp rolls out, and then Edmund Dante's or the Count of Monte Cristo appears. Gets fucking out. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> it's 
so, it so does seem a little much, right? <laughs> yeah. It seems a little like I get you have to make an entrance. Yeah, he's not subtle in this one. He's just like flaunting his wealth and being fancy all over the place. Um, so in this, uh, the first target he takes down with his revenge plot, um, he attacks. Uh, he saves Henry Cavill. He saves Superman. Uh, in the same in way, Paris. he sets up a kidnapping yeah. scheme with his pirate buddies. And then he comes and valiantly saves him and fights him all off and sends him on his way. And then, uh... So that ingratiates him into high society. Yeah. Uh, and Danglars is the head of the shipping. So at breakfast, the young Cavill uh, makes note that Jacopo is being questioned about the shipments. And he said, oh, the Spada and Gold and the Count of Monte Cristo's like shipment and, you know. Oh, yeah. Jacobo was like, oh, right. Yeah. Ooh, my bad. So, yeah. Um, it's like, but that was planned. Yeah. It's very obvious it's planned. And then also, like, young Albert is kind of a dummy in this one, too. Like, it doesn't, he does, it doesn't seem like he mentioned the gold to his father because he was, like, scheming and wanted to help him steal it. It's just like, he's just kind of a dumb kid. <laughs> or he's just, like, right. super infatuated with this dude who, and also his father is, like, an, alcoholic absentee asshole who's like never there for him they have albert's 16th birthday oh this is just where they talk about the gold later let me talk about that in a second um but yeah so. and before that we see mercedes and she confronts mondego and he she's like because mondego fights a duel and he kills this guy and mercedes like is the viscount dead and Monday goes like, yeah, and his wife is destitute now. And she's like, well, I knew you guys were sleeping together. And he's like, what, you know, what can I say? Fucking Paris and me don't make for a match for uh, fidelity. So he's sorry, all, but at least we're being open now. Like, yeah, he's also like, and since you mentioned that, that I actually wasn't doing that good of a job hiding things. I'm just not going to try anymore. I'm going to be fucking yeah. all over the place in broad daylight. She was like, so you know, I, he, he was like, you were happy in your ignorance. And she's like, I was never happy and never ignorant. I knew about the three women before the woman you were fucking now. And he's just like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to fuck and I'm going to keep fucking and you're going to deal with it. Guy Pierce, such an asshole in this. Such a, such a but he's a good asshole. Like good he plays at, that role fucking asshole, great. But that's like his only character trait is just being a dick. He says he, right. like later on, he says, he says he framed dante's because he didn't like that a poor person had that he was envious of a poor person or i think that's right when he's right. in jail in the beginning he's like i'm sending you there because i don't like the fact that i'm jealous of you i'm <laughs> i'm a he, noble he, well, blood he, and you're just some commoner and this isn't right. he said it's complicated and then later <laughs> he like he discovers that like why are you happy? You're fucking poor. Like you shouldn't be happy that you're poor. I'm a count and I'm miserable. Like he hates that Edmund is happy with a whistle, but he gets a pony and Edmund enjoys his whistle more. And like Mercedes is like, I'm not going to be your fucking whistle because he's trying to like knock on Mercedes before the arrest. Yeah, they also have this and, little him and Dante's. We're like best friends before this, or so Dante's thought. And they have this little tradition they call they do called like kings, where they have a little king from a chessboard. And uh, whenever one of them is like doing really well, uh, actually kind of a toxic game in a weird way to frame a friendship. But basically, when one of them does better than the other one, like just in life generally, they'll go kings to you whoever and then hand them the chess piece and then whoever is holding on to the chess piece 
like they'll hand it off the next time the other person does something that like up stages them or something. It's a victory. It's when whenever one of them has a personal victory, they pass off a king to each other. But they have one king and they're passing it back and forth, right? Like it sets up this thing where (laughs) someone where like there's like a winner and a loser in their friendship. Or, I don't know. It just seemed like a weird... I, it's framed as, like, a fun little thing, but I'm like, this, this is a weird tradition. I mean, we kind of had something like that. Really? I don't remember that. We had, like... Do you remember the gank item? I don't. Was that something you would just, like, steal, though? Like, yeah. It was a... We, yeah, it was a named item that you had to say, this is the gank item, and the rule... You don't remember this? Like, the rule was if you could sneak it out of the house without the other person realizing it was gone, then they had to keep it. But they had to put it in their house somewhere in the open, like that's, on a shelf or a counter or something. And then... That's totally yeah, it was different, a little... though. Like, it would be like... If, like, I don't know. This is like... like Dante's gets it when he is, like, betrothed to Mercedes before he goes to prison, right? Like, right, he because finds out he's, he's named captain. He's going to be the captain of the ship, yeah. And then Guy Pierce is like, Kings, do you, Dante's? And he's, like, clearly just fucking seething. Uh, <laughs> um, I only was mentioning that Kings thing because it's, like, a really juicy <laughs> little wink at the end. Um, it is a juicy wink. It is. Um... So, by now, the word of the treasure has made its way to the ears of Mondego. We do. Albert's birthday is happening. His 16th birthday. um, He is a man. The Count is invited. And this is, they also call out the Count when he walks in. Everyone's super happy to see him. Albert, like, Mondego is, like, clearly just, like, kind of irked by the fact that his kid is, like, so pumped to see this other dude. Well, Mondego's busy with business, like trying to secure his. Because Mondego's actually going bust because he keeps gambling yeah. at a that, casino that the fucking Count of Monte Cristo owns. He, he owns one casino. I think he found out about the gambling thing, opened his own casino, and then he's like, So, how's this guy doing? He's like, Well, he's losing money here and at every other casino in town. <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> but the, the birthday thing happens and Mondego leaves right before he's supposed to give this like you're a man now toast um, to go up and talk with the veal for about ripping off this gold from the shipment and then uh, the count kind of steps in and makes a really nice toast and he's talking about how brave Albert was when he got kidnapped by those pirates and he's like just you know say that to the fates and like you know destiny will like kind of bend to your will or where we're all we'll all know like everyone will recognize that you are the man that you are. It was very nice and heartfelt. And um, like he takes the like because Mercedes is initially going to do it, and yeah. that's very out of character for this. And then the Count of Monte Cristo steps in, being a gentleman, where he kind of denigrates himself a little bit in the eyes of the court because he makes it seem like he requested the honor to give the coat the toast, and he rises to the occasion, and uh, he he really is a gentleman in that moment. Yeah, he takes the blame like he says that like well you know i'm kind of the asshole here like actually mondego had to leave because i had some business that he had to attend to very graciously um yeah so they do that he ingratiates himself further with them and then is this where they have the first like confrontation with mercedes he gets into his carriage and mercedes is just like chilling in there 
And she, yeah, and she, she knows. She yeah, it sounds like she does. Uh, and she's like really convinced. But then apparently he convinces her that he's not Dante's by the end of it. Well, they, ha- they have a second confrontation she, later where she's like, "You said the name Edmund. I never said the name Edmund. You're definitely well, this guy. Da- you said the name uh, Dante's, which is a name I never said. But yeah, one of those two. Th- I mean, you know, language. Like it's the duality of like you are not Edmund Dante's. Like no, I am the Count of Monte Cristo. Like Edmund is dead. He died in a fucking prison cell. And what you're dealing with now is a revenge man. Like no, I, you're dealing with the spirit. Of I vengeance. understand what he's saying there, and that Edmund Dantes is not literally dead. I'm just saying it seems like in the movie that Mercedes <laughs> literally believes that he is not Edmund Dantes when she gets out of that carriage because they have a second confrontation later where she comes and is like, Wait, you said those two names. I only said one name. Right. You definitely are this guy. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, to a point. Uh, so we have the Donglers set up where, the, you know, Villafors and, uh, Mondego are like, we're going to fucking take the gold. Like if he really has found spot as treasure, like we're going to fucking rip this dude off. Uh, and, uh, it's great. Pirates to yeah. They hire the fuck. Like it's so, I love how many times they just keep showing up. The like, pirate, the under- pirates are very funny. They're like, yeah, they're doing the robbery. They are like the casino workers. They're just kind of all over the place in the back. Yeah, like they're actively like, it's so good. Uh, so Donglers has like two chests and he takes it and he gives it to the fucking smugglers who are working for Edmund now or working alongside him because, you know, Edmund's paying them a fuck ton of money. And essentially those two trunks of gold are theirs to keep. Like that's their payment for all this. He said it's what's happening. So like Danglars and Vilfort are working together. Danglars hires these guys and then they're going to take all the treasure and split it 50, 50 after like between Vilfort and Danglars. But what Danglars does, he says, take two of these off the top, put them back on our boat like the boat that Dante's used to right. be captain of. Take those. We're going to skim these off the top, and then we'll sp- like split the rest of it is sort of what was going on there. Uh, so the, and uh, the it's a whole up. trap, though. Alex. Yeah, the cops show up fucking immediately. <laughs> they <laughs> like they're the there. Two, the, chest with the, the wagon with the two chests on it being driven by fucking uh, Vampa. <laughs> the the head pirate guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like, just smiling. They ride off. Uh, and then the cops show up, and also the count is there. Uh, he just shows up too, and they confront and Danglers in a really brutal way. <laughs> Danglers is like, I'm not gonna like it was fucking Mondego and Villafor. I'm not, I'm not going, going to prison for, for either of these. Yeah, and he tries to fight, and Monte Cristo wraps Danglars' neck in a fucking shipping rope. Yeah, and hold like holds him off of the edge, and he's like, "Who are you?" And he goes. Dante's, and he's like Edmund, and then fucking yeah, Edmund pushes him, off. him off the edge of the boat, and then he kind of yeah, the fucking hangs, dangles, <laughs> and then he he very cool. Or the count as uh, Edmund is walking away, he very coolly says to one of the the police guys, like, "Cut him down before he can't talk anymore." Um, I do. There was a weird part in there. there there's like a. I don't think it's a continuity error. I think they just maybe cut a scene where he walks to the boat out, but there's basically like. We see Edmund Dante show up and he's on like the dock shore 
and then it sure. cuts to Danglars, and then it cuts back to Dante's, and now he's like five feet away from Danglars on the boat. Um, right. Right before he wraps the rope. Right. I just thought it was kind of visually kind of funny. Um, but no, The next one we know. take down is uh, Villefort. Villefort. And Villefort is taken down by uh, Edmund in a steam room, and he yeah. basically gets just, like, uh, Villefort to admit... To murdering his own dad, right? Yeah, conspiracy to murder, because he hires... He essentially has Mondego kill uh, yeah. Villafort's father, so Villafort can be rid of this Napoleon sympathizer. Yeah, and this one, it's like the same thing gets Dante thrown in jail, except where this time he talks to Napoleon face-to-face, which is pretty pretty fun, and then like he mentions that twice, and he tells it to Vampa that he... Like talk to Napoleon, Vampa just like laughs in his fucking face. He's like, "Oh, Edmund, the stories you tell." Yeah, <laughs> no, they call him Zatara. Uh, Zatara, that's right. Yeah, which means which driftwood. means driftwood. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I love, I love that uh, Jacobo keeps calling him that. Regard, like anytime they're not in polite society, yeah. it's just always that. Um. Yeah, so there, like, and it happened largely the same way to Villefort, like. He brings Edmund in for questioning him, but he's like, you're clearly a fucking rube. Like, go home. Wait, but who were you supposed to meet? And then he's like, oh, this man, Clarion, Monsieur Clarion. Right. And then Villefort's like, oh, fuck. Uh, and then he he gives Edmund that fake ride home, which is happening in the back of a fucking, like, jailer wagon. Which, if <laughs> How dumb is this dude before he goes to jail, you know? I would not... You cannot pay me to voluntarily get into the back of a cop car, even if they were like, "We're just going to drive you home." Like, no, come but, on. Well, but, they're, uh, they're just to drive home, Alex. I don't know what you're. Uh, yeah. You know, what are you so, but uh, <laughs> so Fort has him arrested because Clarion is his dad. Uh, he talks to his dad immediately after, and his dad's like, "Well, you know, Napoleon's coming back, and soon you guys are going to be the traitors." And then they have the thing where Napoleon reinvades, and they show this scene of like his dad all drunk, being like, "Napoleon's coming! <laughs> Napoleon's coming!" But he's just like an old weirdo dressed in his fucking Napoleonic war uniform <laughs> with his dumb <laughs> <Right>. big hat <laughs> and his cane with like the Napoleonic hat on it. Yeah, yeah. So that all happened early on in the movie, um, and then basically his so Villefort has his dad killed. By Danglars. Um, no, by Mondego. Oh, by Mondego? Okay. Oh, right, right, yeah. yeah. Mondego, such a fucking scumbag. Um, <laughs> so he's like, he's being confronted by Edmund Dantes in this weird steam room. Edmund Dantes in full clothes. <laughs> and Villefort's like kind of just in a towel. And Dantes keeps on turning up the steam and then he starts like questioning him. Which is great because like. I mean, it's a little on the nose, but he's essentially turning the heat turning on, the heat right? Up. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like, he's turning the heat up, and the fact that Edmund is fully a clothed. Very, a very silly reveal for immediately after this questioning ends, which is great. The, the, the fact that, like, he is physically turning up the heat, and Villafort is also there in only a towel where he is vulnerable. Yeah. You're so, right, like, man. you That's know. Good little metaphors happening. Um, um, he's questioning about yeah. the murder of his dad, though, and he's like, you know, fucking Mondego admitted to it. Why don't you just say? He's like, Mondego would never admit to that. He's the trigger man, and you're like, he goes, you're right, he wouldn't have, but you just did, bitch. And then the steam disappears, and there's like five cops behind him. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> helicopters. And then he's like, who are you? And he goes, 
they all just apparently silently filed into the room while they were talking. <laughs> so now they cart Villafor out to a wagon, and there's a gun in there, a pistol with one shot. And the driver's like, courtesy of the camp. Oh, and Villafor puts it in his mouth and pulls the trigger, but it's empty. And then Edmund just appears in the back, like through the, the bars. And he's like, did you really think I'd make it easy for you? Yeah! There's and so Ed many... Villafor is carted off to prison. Not so many, but there's a number of scenes that imply some very funny movements happening in between the two scenes, right? So like... Oh, yes. Because yes. we see Monday, or we see Villefort being walked out and Dante's is standing a good like 10 feet away from the wagon as he gets in there and then he's like looking at the gun and considering it and then he goes to shoot himself but he doesn't and then Dante's pops up in the window that is behind him so like he had right. to have like quietly snuck up back there and then hopped on the back of the wagon and then like waiting Correct. to see to listen for the like, pull to happen and then pop up and be like no nah, psych <laughs> it's funny because it's just his head that appears too yeah. <laughs> Like, and it shows him like, hopping off the back, which means he was definitely like crouching there, like a fucking weirdo. <laughs> right, like that means the cops are watching this too. Like, yeah, it's just great. Um, so and by now, uh, we're getting close to the Mondego revenge. But before that, Mercedes shows up, and they have a moment. And Edmund's like, "Look, don't take my hate from me. Like, it's all I have." And she's like, "But." We can go with our son. Oh, by the way, he's absolutely your kid. Because uh, we had sex before you were imprisoned. And that's why I got married a month later. I think he tells so. Mondego about that first. Because I think she only reveals that when they meet in that weird burned out house. Right, right. Like, he tells Mondego so, yeah, she, she, it's not his kid. Um, right. He's like, why she do you goes back you so quickly? Like, a month after right. he died, you know? Um, the timing. And that I like that... You know, Mondego gets offended by that. Like, he's not fucking sleeping with everything that walks. And he's like, oh, you're a whore. Like, oh, yeah, moral high ground, huh, Mondego? Like, you're a fucking, uh, what is it, pot, meat, kettle? Yeah, something like that. Um, but even then, Mercedes isn't a whore. Mercedes no, isn't she, a whore. No, he's just saying that because he's a Right, dick. to um, get it on, yeah. Uh, no, they do have that confrontation. And there's more, like, shoehorned weird god stuff in here where he's like, God loves you. He's like, what is it? Why does he, people keep on bringing him up to me? And then she's like, he's in everything. He's in everything you do. He made the, like, I don't know. <laughs> there was, but there was he, such a nice gap. <laughs> it comes up again. <laughs> he, he requests, you know, like, don't rob my hate of me. It's all I have. And she's like, but we can run away together. And he's like, you know what? Fine. Uh, and then it I'll, cuts to the morning where... Uh, so it's not mattering a ton either that he was robbed of his hate. I feel like things play out very similar. Yeah, pretty fine. Have. So I mean, Mercedes wakes up in the bed alone, and um, you know, uh, Jacopo walks in and he's like, "Oh shit, sorry, didn't you know?" Anyway, his count requests that you get dressed and meet him because you guys are going to leave the country together with your son. Mercedes is happy, and that's when she goes to confront Mondego, who has thrashed his fucking villa, his chateau. Yeah, he's like, and he's like, we're fucking bankrupt, and I have like the constables are coming for me for like, coming. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> there's like murder, and I'm guilty of all kinds of shit. And yeah, that's and when Mercedes, Mercedes tells him, yeah, Albert isn't even his fucking kid, and he goes to his ancestral home, his birthplace. Uh, Mondego does to get the treasure that was, you know, uh, stolen, quote unquote. But he only finds 
boxes of dirt and earth. And uh, except in one yeah. chest. <laughs> yeah, except for one chest. When he shoots the lock off and there's a king in it. Yeah, just chef's kiss. Little revenge note there. Beautiful. Did you like that they brought that back? I had totally forgotten about it, honestly, because it's like a thing they... At first I was like, what the fuck? And then he's also, he looks at the chess piece in his jail cell one time. I think yeah. I, I watched this in two halves also, or I watched like the first 20 minutes then I came back and watched the rest of it on a different mm-hmm. day. So I had totally forgotten about the chess piece until I'm, and then he says like kings to you, Mondego, I think when he pops right. up all dashardly out of nowhere. And then I was like, oh, <laughs> right. That weird little tradition they have. And you know, that's great because Mondego and uh, the Count of Monte Cristo's fight, but it's clear that the Count of Monte Cristo uh, is better at the sword. But then Henry Cavill shows up and he's like, I will run it through, dog. Yeah. <laughs> you scoundrel, you mutt, you rapscallion, lay not a hand on father. And then Mercedes spills the beans about his true parentage and. He adjusts that information immediately. Super like, quickly. Fuck Monday, you're my real dad. <laughs> well, because like at this point, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to kill you. Just get on your fucking horse and go. Like, I've got Mercedes. I've got my kid. Mercedes in the shoulder. Well, yeah, because I also love at the same time, like they have the sword fight. And he's loading the pistol. And no one's paying attention to the fact that Mondego is still fucking priming this pistol. Because he gets it and he raises it, and he's like, you've only got one shot, Mondego, and it's going to take more than that to stop me. And he's like, well, then I better put it where it'll do the most damage. But he shoots Mercedes in the shoulder? Well, no, he starts and, to aim at Mercedes. He says, I'm going to do the most damage. Right. He aims at Mercedes, yes. and then Jacopo, fucking badass, hits him in the hand, and it moves a little <laughs> bit, and then he just wings her. Well, he How does he hit him in the hand, Alex? With, like, a little wooden knife that he carved or something? Is that what it was? Well, it's not a wooden knife, but yeah, he has oh. a knife because Jacoba's a knife fighter. Yeah, so he, he just like throws yeah, it like up his, his fu- yeah. like, literally up his <laughs> sleeve. It comes out. You see him like palming it in a scene, and then he yeah hits him in the hand with it. That's right, right in the wrist, and that throws uh, Mondego's aim off. Mercedes gets shot in the shoulder, and not even like a full shot, like almost a graze. Um, it definitely is, and like, then they have, out, a- but it's like right on our shoulder. Like they're yeah. very worried. Um, but then Jacoba was like. <laughs> Then here, too, Jacopo's like, God has blessed you, or, like, God watches you out of the side of his eye again. (laughs) Yeah, God sees you out of the side of his eye. Yeah. Yeah. And now we have, and, you know, initially, uh, Mondego's running away, but he comes back, and he's like, you know I can't live in a world where I have nothing and you have everything. So they get into a sword fight, and uh, in the end, Mondego falls upon the blade, and, uh, yeah, the Count of Monte Cristo has bought the prison, and he intends to just leave it as a testament. Uh, and he, he has that scene yeah. where he's, like, standing on the shore, on, like, the, the cliff side, overlooking the ocean. He's, like, talking to himself slash the spirit of the priest or whatever, you know. Right. Like, just kind of, like, speaking out loud. The way it's framed is, like, we see him, like, the camera is behind him. We're looking at his back as he's talking sort of like up to the sky to the priest uh, about how the, you know, the priest was kind of like right about a lot of stuff and God's great. And then it slowly pans around and like 20 feet back or Mercedes and Albert, like kind of walking up towards him. 
What a weird yeah. fucking family trip that would have been, right? Well, like, it's also like I'm gonna with... buy and then take you to the concentration camp, basically that I was forced to live in for 16 years, where I was brutally tortured. And he was initially gonna buy it to raise it, but now he just leaves it standing, and he swears to the abbot that now all of your resources will be used for good. Yeah, now they will. <laughs> yeah, now they so will. Like I don't know. I mean, they're like. Those three dudes were all fucking criminals anyway, right? Like two of them right. just get arrested for doing crimes. It's like he, <laughs> I get that it like the revenge motivated him, but like they were sure. arrested for things like unrelated to anything they did to Dante's. Well, I mean, kind of, right? Like they orchestrated, the, like uh, like the Danglars. Danglars wanted him in prison because he was bitter that Edmund leapfrogged his position and became captain. I get why they put him in prison. I'm saying that when he comes out and does his revenge, it's like they oh, just all get in trouble really... for they get in trouble for shit that is just other illegal stuff they were doing anyway. Sure. Um, now, as opposed okay, to like overall... the original one where he like dismantles them mentally <laughs> first and just totally puts their lives in shambles before revealing who he is each time. I like that one more. See, so you like 34 over 2000. I at least like the revenge plot line over. Well, no, I think overall oh, the Jim Caviezel thing is just too. The God stuff was not. Fun. Is it really? I think it might be for me. I don't know. <laughs> is it I, ruining the movie? You can't I thought get it was a them. good movie, but the prison part, I really was just like, come on, guys. This is. This, <laughs> why are we doing this? It's so fucking serious, and there's all this God talk. Um. I thought the God revenge. I thought the justice. revenge plans were better in the thirty-four one, or at least I liked watching them play out. Like they even show this scene of fucking Jim Caviezel reading *The Prince* by Machiavelli, but he doesn't really like right. orchestrate anything too crazy. He just just he like, here's evidence of their crimes. Police, please take care of this. And I mean, I guess arrested. the Machiavelli, like the Mach- the Machiavellian stuff, really is like it's it's the kidnapping, like the orchestration of the kidnapping, and then. Yeah, he likes to uh, yeah, yeah. Albert a ton to get in. That part's true. Yeah. Uh but I just like I like how sort of intricate and devious the uh the revenge plans are in the 34 one. Like there's nothing in this one that matches just like the the pomp and hilarious like um hilariousness of that Albanian court scene with all the tableaus. It's so good. Now how well do you remember V for Vendetta? Uh, it's been, it's probably been like damn near 20 years since I've seen it. Maybe 15. So you and I saw V for Vendetta in theaters. Like I remember your mom, we were hanging out at your house. It was in the summer. And I remember your mom came home and she said, Fox news is saying this movie supports terrorism. And then she gave us 10 bucks and was like, you guys go see it. And it was V for Vendetta. Oh, okay. Well, because she thought it was funny, because it's like it, it's not supporting terrorism. Your mom thought yeah, it was funny that not. Fox News was and exaggerating also, the kind of terrorism it does support. Like Fox News should be on board with blowing. Yeah, up it's like dismantling. Modernist. Yeah, like right. <laughs> like it, it's 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 dismantling a fucking tyrannical government. Yeah, I mean that part. Yeah, but um, all, and then all the fifth of November stuff is like right. Oh, come on, I mean a the, the parallels B, between. The, the parallels between Count of Monte Cristo and V for Vendetta, as I watched 1934 and 2002 again, they really run parallel. You have a character who is falsely in prison. He is 
fixated on revenge, he comes out and he specifically targets the people responsible for his imprisonment. Uh, there is a strong female love, I'll say love interest, um, even to the point where in V for Vendetta, he says, you know, when uh, Evie wakes up and she hears V like training or fighting, she's like, I thought you were fighting. Like, what are you watching? He goes, my favorite film, The Count of Monte Cristo with Edmund Donat as Edmund Dantes. Yeah, he's he's replicating or Robert Donat as Edmund he's Dantes. replicating the sword duel between him and Mondego. He's like watching that scene yeah. and then he's doing the Dantes parts against a little mannequin. Yeah, and she's like, he's like, oh, I've never seen it. He goes, would you like to? And does it have a happy ending? And as only the silver screen can provide. And then they show like two or three clips from the movie. But the parallels between Count of Monte Cristo and V for Vendetta, uh, I mean, I have to imagine that Alan Moore was like, I want to do my own version of Count of Monte Cristo. Maybe, but was like more blowing stuff up. Right. And a weird... A, 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 a modern... Yeah, his own modern version of what Count of Monte Cristo would be. Um, so that I mean, that's it, man. Like overall, do you, how? So out of you asked me last time, out of all these four, which one did you prefer? And we both said Zorro. Has that changed at all? Now you have Monte Cristo under your belt. I think in terms of like an action dude, I still like Zorro. Evan Dante is in nineteen thirty four. I like a lot. He's a cold motherfucker. In a really fun way, uh, but I still think, in terms of just like this one, felt the least sort of swashbuckly to me out of any of them. Sure, like the nineteen thirty four one for sure. Just like there are sword, there are scenes with swords in them, kind of. And sure, the two thousand two one has like more. There's like fast horse riding and some actual sword fights and gun fights and stuff. Um, but no, I think I'm still Zorro. In terms Zorro, of okay. Movies. Uh, was there anything you were expecting before you went into this movie that was there or wasn't there? Honestly, I was expecting like more sort of rambunctious action stuff. I just mm-hmm. because of what people like someone telling me it was a quote fun swashbuckling movie, which is not the vibe. <laughs> I was sitting there like forty five minutes in, or maybe like an hour in, <laughs> dragging the priest's corpse out from under those rocks, being like, when does <laughs> this? Start getting fun. <laughs> um, so, I mean, and I, I asked this on Twitter, too, and you said it in the last episode, uh, we were doing a swashbuckling saga mm-hmm. is, the, is, the, is the theme. I, I've been hinting out cryptically okay, every now and then. Uh, can anyone guess what our theme is? Or it's been a swashbuckling, uh, roguish uh, set. We had Three Musketeers, Robin Hood, Zorro, and now we're ending it with the Count of Monte Cristo. Um, and there's also a lot of parallels. Like they use some of the same actors, some of the same directors, some of the same uh, like role like interchangeable actors in one movie who were playing another in another movie with this actor and that actor and the director and they're almost um I, I use the word incestuous. Michael Wincott was in all four was in one version of every movie we watched the last four weeks, right? Was he in Three Musketeers? He was. He's yes. the fucking De Rochefort's dude. Or was or he in Rochefort. Robin Hood? He's in Prince of Thieves. He's in the Prince sheriff. of Thieves. Yeah. He is not in Zorro. He isn't isn't he in Zorro? 
He's not in Zorro. Oh, fuck. Okay. I thought. So, but he's, he's in three in out of four. He's not in the Mask of Zorro? He's not in the Mask of Zorro. Okay. Damn. Um, He's not in the Mask of Zorro, but there are. And then, like, we had Robin Hood from, you know, 1937, and we had Bob Anderson, who was the sword fighting instructor, who was the sword fighting instructor in Zorro, like the 2002, like, so much crossover. Also, that means that Bob Anderson is like 70 yeah. <laughs> when he's teaching Antonio Banderas, well, uh, Catherine and, uh, Zeta Jones, and Anthony Hopkins, Hopkins had a sword fight. Be close to 70 by the time he's teaching Antonio <laughs> Banderas had a sword fight in the movie. So I think it's fine. It's just that dude needs a lot, you know, a lot of work. Um, yeah. they, they've almost been incestuous in a way. There's between a lot of connective like, tissue between everything we watch. Yeah, for sure. Have you have you enjoyed this little block of like? like action adventure epics yeah i've been pleasantly surprised i don't think they're there haven't been i was never like well i feel like maybe the robin hood ones were the weakest but i still enjoyed those because of the because of my deep love of robin hood men and tights yeah yeah it was fun getting a <laughs> lot of those references uh like punch carded in my brain um, but no, I think overall, this has been one of the better runs we've had in a while. I, we haven't really done like a theme thing before other than watching four of those body snatcher movies. That was right. two well, weeks. Um, yeah. And, and that was trying to see like how these movies stack up, yeah, like how, really how, how the same movie is portrayed four remakes throughout the same it. thing. It wasn't like a genre right. thing. Um, no, I think it's been a good experience though. It makes me want to. I don't know. Maybe we can find. Maybe later we can find another sort of like niche genre kind of thing. And yeah, I, I think so. I think it. there could be. A, I <laughs> think there's out there movies that exist within it that yeah. are also remakes. <laughs> um. So I mean, we're here, Alex. It's our third. You know, podcast is turning three in two days. Uh, what are you hoping for the next set? Like, what's this year gonna? What What are you hoping to see more of? or less of, or what are you curious about in terms of our future going forward with the movies? Hmm. Well, I'm not sure. I, I hope we don't run out of movies. I don't think we're going to. Um, I don't think we're going to either. I, I always kind of worry about getting to a point where it's like only stuff that sounds not fun to watch is like what's left, but I feel like I haven't really run into that yet. So I don't, maybe it'll happen, but I think it'll probably be. I think we'll be okay. Or so. Yeah. <laughs> I think we'll be okay for a while. Yeah. Hope that writer strike gets resolved for the writers. Yep. Get them. Keep on making poorly thought out remakes that we can watch. Well, I, and you know, I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything later. But once the writer strike gets resolved, uh, in favor of the writers, um. There, we're there, there's a reason why we haven't watched The Crow yet. There's a reason why we haven't watched Roadhouse yet. You know, like these oh, movies are talking about being yeah. remade. So yeah. I, I'm waiting for The Crow remake. Like Bill Skarsgård is supposed to be Eric Draven. There are, de- yeah, there are definitely some specific movies I'm looking forward to. The Crow is a big one. Uh... That's another Michael Wincott one as well. Oh, really? <laughs> Goddamn. He plays Top Dollar. Weird. He plays the main villain. <sighs> Man, awesome. Um, so yeah, yeah um, uh, more stuff. I don't know. There's also some that are like not that I'm not like personally super interested in, but seem like they would be fun. I don't know. The haunted mansion 
might be it might be all right. Sure, Haunted Mansion is up there. There's more Batman stuff. We're, we got a plethora of superhero stuff. Um, really I, there's horror movies. Either, which there's yeah, a I mean, shitload it, of it out there. So. A shit ton of Disney properties. So, yeah, I, I think we'll be fine for a while. Um, I do want to take this time to say thank you to our audience, our hearers, our listeners. Uh, we hope you guys enjoy this. Um, as you know, you can find us on Twitter at Reboot Deboot Pod. We also have a Patreon that you can go to. There are two episodes on there that are not released uh, on the podcast. They are one-off episodes that Alex and I took out of our day to record, and we're going to be doing some more of that a little later. Um, we might even do like some watch parties on there. So we got a Patreon. Uh, please go check that out. Check out our Twitter, and the podcast will, in this version, will always be free. And... Um, yeah, thank you guys for sticking with us. Uh, Alex, do you have any final words for our audience or our hearers this week? Uh, I don't know. Happy birthday to us, I guess. And, uh, you know, we will see you guys next week. That podcast is filling your head with garbage. You should be in school. Well, we better get going. I wonder, will we ever see each other again? Who knows? God willing, we'll all meet again in Spaceballs, too search for more money.